You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, mi gente? This is your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. And today, we have an amazing guest lined up for you. I mean, homie over here does it all. Seriously, he does it all. He's a comedian. He's a performer. He's a writer. He got some dope shorts out right now on this dope website called GunNative.tv that you need to see. Put a smile on your face. And it got some messaging, too, all right? Let me introduce the one, Leone. The amazing Mr. Joey Cliff. Wow, what a what an intro! Wow, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to excited to chat. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. And the last time we had tried this, the internet gods did not allow Mega and Cliff to to, to chat. So today, you know, that's it. All right. Oh I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah. gave Spectrum a what for, and now we're ready. Oh yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think that last time it was funny because you you set me up with this just amazing high energy, great intro, and then I feel like right when you introduced me is when we kind of had like internet stuff. So I was <laughs> sitting there, it was just like, "Come on, ready? I'm on." Wait, uh, okay, I'll just sit here quietly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so sorry about that. Wait, yeah, yeah, it's good. Right? It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. I'm I'm glad that we have time though to chit chat about this dope, you know, animated series you have that's on the website GoneNative.tv. You know, with some messaging, funny as heck, because you definitely have a, a, a short, I think that was even uh, prior to that about the bear, one of the longest titles I've ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a moment. All right, so we'll get back just a bit. So let the folks know, Joey, where you originally hailed from and what was your first thing you ever fell in love with in pop culture? Oh, wow, that's a big question. Okay, so I'm an enrolled member of the Cowlitz Indian tribe based out of Southern Washington State, like kind of uh, Mount St. Helens, our Aboriginal territory. And then I grew up on the Tulalip Reservation, which is about 45 minutes north of Seattle. And I currently live in Los Angeles. I'm a comedian, TV writer. And then, well, wow, first thing I ever fell out in love with with pop culture. All right, so I'm going to say probably, so two answers. One would be like, did you ever watch the sketch comedy show The State on MTV? The state, no, not familiar. So no. it was so it was this like super funny sketch comedy show that like a lot of people who like became really famous, like writers and comedians, originally started on that show. Like Tom Lennon and Ben Garant, who they they wrote like the Night of the Museum movies, and they've written a lot of other movies and stuff like that. And so the state for me was just a show that came out, you know, in the early '90s when I was like, you know, still in elementary school. And I remember watching that show when I was a kid and thinking to myself, like. I think that it's like a really weird show and like, oh, I think that this is funny, but I also think that I maybe think this is funnier than other people. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, this speaks to my like sense of humor more yeah. than I think it speaks to other people's sense of humor. And then of course, you know, like the Simpsons, Conan O'Brien kind of like fit in similar areas of just like, just like weird alt comedy that like has really become kind of my bread and butter now that I've, you know, entered right. in comedy. So, growing up, Loving this alt weird comedy and all. Did you have a tribe around you that enjoyed this as well? Or were you kind of a lone wolf in your geekdom? <laughs> so I would say that, like, you know, I think that growing up, I was a little, I was, you know, I mean, like, I had friends that liked The Simpsons and stuff like that. Because it was, you know, the biggest show in the 90s, of course. Yeah. But I feel like for a lot of this stuff, I was, like, a little bit alone in my geekdom. Like, I was the type of person that, like, that I think, you know, like, in, you know, elementary school, middle school, junior high, I would always like crack jokes in the back of the class. And I feel like I was just a bit too like, I feel like a lot of my 
my friends and like people around me would be like, why did you say that weird thing? And they would like not track that it's a joke. And then I feel like once I got into high school, like people started to catch up and they were like, oh, this guy's funny. That's what his thing is. And then like, that's around when I think that I started to meet a lot of people that were like, you know, like had the same weird sense of humor that I did. Oh, excellent. excellent. Oh, you would have been popular in a, in a New York uh, school for sure. Oh, I was yeah, one yeah. of those backseat kids, you know, with yeah, the, yeah, the, totally. of the joke or doing something stupid. You know, oh, I was yeah, a good sure. kid. Same Don't same. get me wrong. I was a good kid. I didn't get in trouble, but you know, <laughs> the teachers didn't quite appreciate my disturbance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I had a lot of conversations with my teachers in high school where they would pull me aside and they would nicely say, like, I know that you're a nice kid. Just if you could be like a little less distracting, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> right. it's, it's not, not it's the not asshole the, down, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not it's like they're not yelling at me. They're just like, please, please, just like, just like say less jokes. <laughs> like they're yeah. funny and they're good and we like them, you know, yeah. Too funny, too funny. All right. So talk about then you getting serious now about writing and performing. Because here you are being, you know, kind of the class clown. Right. You know, dropping those jokes, being the, the, the funny guy. When did you think, OK, maybe I can make something of this? So so my, my story is like, I think, kind of a weird one in that growing up, I didn't really see any Native American comedians on TV who were like big names doing cool stuff in, you know, the 90s and early 2000s. Like, I know there was a guy named Charlie Hill who's a super funny, like Oneida comedian. But he his peak was really like the 70s and the 80s, which was just, you know, just before my time. And since then, I've started to realize, oh, like, you know, there were funny Native comedians, just not on, you know, The Simpsons or Conan O'Brien or whatever. And so growing up, I like, because I didn't see any funny Native comedians on TV, I didn't think I was, like, allowed to work in comedy. So so instead, I went to school for what, to me, felt like the next best thing, which was to be, like, just a small market TV weather guy. Like, you know, those guys. A weather guy. <laughs> those guys <laughs> news, they, like, crack jokes. They have fun personalities. And yeah, they made- do. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And that made sense as like an attainable way that I can get paid making people laugh, you know, trying to be like the next Al Roker or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunately, like, so I went to college for that, like a place called Washington State University that has like the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication, which is like a really fancy communications college. And, uh, you know, while I was going there, I did a lot of college TV, a lot of, you know, stand up and a lot of college radio with the attitude that like, oh, this is going to help me for my eventual career, like reporting the weather in like Post Falls, Idaho or whatever. <laughs> and fortunately, a bunch of my professors kind of pulled me aside, seeing clearly what I was angling for. And, you know, gave me the really obvious advice of like, hey, you know, you could just work in comedy, right? And I was like, what? Possible? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's a thing I could do? Because it's clear, like, you know, everything that I did was like geared toward that. And so this was about, you know, 13 years ago or so. So I moved to LA in 2010. And then you know, really just kind of dove into the LA right. scene with both feet. Once I so, like, once, once people encouraged me and told me that it was a possibility, you know? So what is this LA thing? I, everyone I speak to, they, they have this point in their life. It's LA. So when you did that dive, did you have someone there or did you take the crazy dip and said, I'm going to go and F it all, whatever happens, happens. So, uh, I mean, I would say that like a little bit of both. It's like I had a couple of friends who like, you know, graduated a year or two before me from college that like, you know, were down to get coffee with me and give me advice. I think the key thing is that my my brother actually lived in Inglewood, which like my brother doesn't work in the industry. He's, you know, like a car mechanic. He manages a lot of like, you know, car repair kind of places like that, that, that industry. And he just like had a couch that he was okay with me sleeping on. <laughs> so like, and like, you know, I still had to pay him rent. I had to pay him like $300 a month in rent. Which, you know, was for, for LA was him cutting me a deal. But that was at least like a place that I could land. And I, I slept on his couch for, you know, probably about three All years. All right, wait a minute. Was, yeah. If you're paying $300 a month rent, 
no other ass better be on that couch because you're paying three hundred dollars <laughs> a month for that couch. Nah, I mean, look, I, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. I, I mean, look, it's like it was in the living room, so it's like I couldn't, I couldn't be like, that's my, I'm, that's my rent is paying for this. I, I put my head there. Effort. Don't you put your ass where I put my head? No. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking before I go to bed every day. I'd like I'd wipe it down for sure. But yeah, so so I lived with my brother for about three years, and then you know just kind of hit a point in my career where I could you know afford to move out. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think that like having having a brother's couch I could crash on in Inglewood was definitely key in like the early days. You know. Wonderful. The guy in the couch syndrome. There we yeah. Go. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, but it's all right. So you said, okay, you know, three years. I mean, so it was three years. You on the couch and hustling. You know, yeah. what was that journey like, bro? I mean, did, so, I, I, but once you landed and you yeah. started going for your first opportunity, all right? What was that like for you? Did you get shot down or hired? So, I, so the reason, so I moved to LA in it was March of 2010. And the reason that I moved is that I had like a job interview to be what's called a production okay. assistant, which is like, you know, somebody who like gets coffee for people and just sort of like an assistant for the production. A nice word for a gopher, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go for a runner. It's all the same thing. So I, I had like a job interview for that on like sort of a reality travel show. And so like I, like my interview was like in the middle of March. So I was like, okay, so that's when I need to move to LA is for that interview at least because I couldn't do it over the phone. I had to be in the office for it. And so I, you know, did this job interview. I, I think I researched every single person in the office, looked at all of their credits, sort of have stuff to talk about with all of them, probably put more work into researching for this interview than I probably ever done. <laughs> and I did not get the job. Oh, man. So I was really? like, so, it's, so at that point, I was like, okay, I've got like, you know, I've got maybe two months worth of like college student loans in my bank account that I could spend on, you know, staying on my brother's couch and like, you know, like paying for food and stuff like that. And fortunately, like while I was getting coffee with a lot of my like, you know, friends and like alumni from my college, a friend of mine, like a really, really good, you know, a producer at the time was a production coordinator. She, you know, took my resume and the next day she got a call from one of, you know, her old bosses saying like, hey, we just let our assistant go. We're looking for a new like assistant for the, you know, executives that, that created the show Scare Tactics on Sci-Fi with Tracy Ooh. Morgan and um, like, you know, the people who created the show. And, you know, they were looking for a new assistant. So, like, I got a call at, like, you know, I think it was a Friday. I got a call at, like, 11 a.m. on a Friday from just, you know, a number I didn't recognize, the exec- an executive of this company, saying, you know, hey, like, you know, our friend, your friend Haley passed over your resume. Uh, it sounds really good. We're looking for an assistant. You know, could you interview today for it, you know, at, like, 1 p.m.? And, you know, it was 11 I think that I had, like, zero clean clothes. So I had, like, you know, like, I was just wearing definitely, like, laundry day outfit you know, jumped in my car, drove across town to Studio City for this interview at 11 o'clock, you know, did the interview, you know, we we all hit it off. One of the guys, one of the creators of the show actually was an alumni from my college in, you know, the 80s or something like that. And then, you know, on my way driving home at like 4 p.m., I got a call from them saying like, hey, we want to bring you in. So, you know, you're hired, you start Monday, is that okay? So like, did it went from having no idea that this job exists at like 10.59 a.m getting a call, asking for an interview, driving in at one, you know, across town, and then getting off for the job at four, knowing that I'm starting two days later on Monday. And that's like a very normal thing in the entertainment industry. So once I got that gig, that was like a good job that I worked at for about eight months. And while I was doing that, I like, you know, started like, you know, doing open mics in LA, you know, taking like comedy classes at places like the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and other comedy theaters. And, you know, just like, just like once I had like, you know, like, money coming in, it was easier to focus on like, okay, now, now comedy is why I moved here. So that's the thing I can kind of focus my attention on, you know? What was your first stand up appearance like? 
when you, you, when you uh, put that on stage in front of people it wasn't a lot of people <laughs> i mean honestly it was not good i was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think that i think that now i think that stand up like i appreciate it as an art form but i think that i think that stand up is just something i don't have like a ton of fun doing whereas like improv and sketch comedy and writing is something that i have a ton of fun doing so i think that i like did a couple open mics and realized like oh i'm not good at this <laughs> but then like you know did improv and sketch and i was like oh but i am i like have the potential to be good at this thing so then i kind of like focused all my energy at that stuff like that whose line is it type joint right yeah yeah totally totally that kind of stuff i think that, that that's historical stuff to me yeah, all right yeah. so you're not you, you here you are you, you're stepping into the scene you're navigating and you know being native american now and now you're in it though right yeah are, are you seeing a lot of your of Native Americans in it as you're kind of now navigating early on? Did you so, see that? Yeah. So like, I think that for me, like I'm always somebody who's been like really passionate about my culture. Like while I was in college, I was like a mentor for the Native Student Center and like, you know, growing up on a res, I would like go to powwows and stuff all the time. And like my mom is really passionate about the culture. So like, honestly, when I moved to LA, before I even Googled like comedy theaters, I Googled just like Native American TV writers. Okay. And there was a a really good panel put together by like the writers guild for what's called the Disney fellowship, which is like this writers fellowship that they've been doing for the past, you know, a couple decades. And there was one guy on the panel who was a member of the Blackfeet tribe. And like, so I went to this panel just being like, wow, a native TV writer. I've never heard of such a thing, you know? <laughs> so I went to this panel, you know, watched it, like walked up to this native writer afterwards and just said like, you know, hey, my name's Joey Clift. Like I'm, you know, enrolled Cowlitz, I'm native too. It was, it's so cool to see a native writer here. I just moved to LA and, you know, really excited to see natives, you know, doing TV writing because that's what I want to do someday. And he was just like, wow, another native? And then like immediately put me on like a million email lists. And he was just like, email this person if you want like good fried bread recipes, email this person for whatever. And he just like hooked me Beautiful. up, you know? Beautiful. And so like, so I've been like involved in native Hollywood, like native Hollywood's kind of like the loose collection of native folks working in the entertainment industry honestly, before I even started doing like comedy in LA. So I knew a lot of really funny comedians, like in sort of native Hollywood spaces that would see it like native Hollywood parties and shows and gatherings and stuff. But like, I wasn't really seeing a lot of those native comedians getting opportunities in like sort of mainstream comedy spaces, like, you know, Second City, like, you know, the Groundlings, like, you know, UCB mm. and stuff like that. So like I worked my way up at UCB. I, I got on what's called a house team, which is like a team put together by the theater. And UCB is like legit. It's like it's where like shows like Saturday Night Live kind of use it as a farm team to find their like writers and performers. So it's like it's a, it's super legit as like a stepping stone Ooh. to later in your career. And I didn't like I realized not only was I not seeing any other native people getting opportunities at these theaters, but also like I was the first native to ever be on like a house team at these theaters to get what? like that big opportunity, which was like Whoa. crazy to me. So I actually, after a couple of years, you know, knowing all these super funny native comedians put together like the first ever native comedy showcase that the theater had ever done, like with all native comedians, we had like 20 native comedians in the bill. I like produced it and hosted it. And you so, found like, 20 native American comedians. Look at that. You, oh, you, yeah. you had, you had trouble finding one and all of a sudden, right? <laughs> the oh, case yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, so, you know, so it's like, I think, I think that now things are getting better because like shows like Reservation Dogs and Rutherford Falls and like Spirit Rangers, which is Netflix shows writer, a writer on, like, I feel like we're all kind of finding each other in a really cool way. So it's like, so it's like, I feel like when I started, Native comedians weren't really getting a ton of opportunities, but now it's like, you're seeing a lot of super funny Native comedians, you know, in LA doing spots at like, you know, big theaters, like, 
you know, like Largo and like Dynasty Typewriter and like Just for Laughs, which is a really good comedy festival up in Canada. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's growing. It's like, we're not, there's maybe 200 of us who are actively doing stuff, but like, you know, but it's, it's a couple a years ago. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful yeah. thing because again, to see, see it evolve. Yeah, in, totally, in terms totally of common. native representation, you know, since since you know, and then you know, you've seen it evolve since you started too. So it, it's a beautiful thing. It's like you came in at the right time, Joy. Yeah, yeah, it's it is really it's like cool to see. You're right. It's like seeing it evolve from like, you know, when I first started and I was like the first native comedian to get some of these mainstream comedy opportunities. Like, and now there's like I have a ton of friends who are funny native comedians who are like doing big stuff all over the place, and it's just. I don't know, it's just even, you know, like 13 years doesn't, it feels like a long time, but also doesn't feel like a long time, you know? And it's like so cool to see, even over the past five years, how much it's like exploded. Okay, and it's exploding, good thing, right? The growth. But do you feel that they're taking the necessary steps to ensure that the the, the representation is good and proper? You know what I mean? I mean, I think... I think for you, do you mean like they like native comedians or like just like shows and studios? The shows, the shows, you know, what, what, okay, yeah. basically, let me rephrase that. What steps yeah, yeah, do you yeah. think we are necessary to ensure authentic native representation? You know, so, in TV uh, okay, so that's, that's a good question. So, like, I think that, like, I definitely think it's gotten a lot better. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, like the Lone Ranger came out with Johnny Depp as Tonto, you know, so it's like, oh, so, yeah. Oh, like <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's not that long ago that stuff was maybe not great. And there, you know, but I, but I think that like, I think that like non-natives, like, you know, executives, producers and stuff like that are becoming a little bit more aware of how to tell native stories the right way. So we've got shows like, you know, like I mentioned Reservation Dogs and Spirit Rangers, which is a show that I wrote on where like, it's like created by a native person with like an all native writer's room, you know, native folks in the cast and crew, like, and I think that like, and those are shows that are like really authentic and like feel like they're coming from a really authentic place. And these are like the first shows created by native people to ever be on American television. Like insane. Like, yeah. Like Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs are the first two TV shows with like a native creator and like largely native writers rooms. And those came out in like 2021, you know? That's what like, I'm saying. Yeah. The history of Hollywood. I mean, come on over a hundred years. He's telling me at the hundredth year. Okay. Here's your piece. <laughs> like, oh okay. yeah. I mean, it's wild. It's like, I think about that, like Spear Rangers, the show that I wrote on that. That's the first kids animated TV show in the history of us animation with like a native creator, the genius Shumash TV writer, Chris of Valencia, you know, an all native writers room. And that came out in October of last year. So that came out, nine months ago you know crazy so it's like and that's so like that's something i think about is like you know tv's been around since like 1930 so it took it took a hundred years for like native folks to get these opportunities you know and so you know so i think that we're i think that we're getting better and i think that like we're also seeing stuff even even where it's not like written or directed by a native person like did you see prey the predator movie oh yeah love the hell out that movie love me my dad my dad not much of a big fan of modern movies. He said when it finished, the next day he goes, "Hey, can you put that movie again for me?" I, I really, I yeah. It <laughs> oh yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and like, and Prey is like dope because like Prey is about it's basically Predator versus the Comanche Nation essentially in the the 1700s, I think. And what's so dope about that movie is like, you know, it was written and directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who's not native, but very early on he was like, "Oh, I want to do the Comanche stuff right." So he brought on Jane Myers, which is like a really amazing producer who's a member of the Comanche Nation, 
like oh, super amazing. early on in like a high level decision making position. And so, so like everything in the movie really trickled down from that. So like from her being a producer on the film, like they, you know, had like a really awesome native cast folks like, you know, Amber Midthunder who, you know, starred in it and like Dakota Beavers, who was her brother in the movie. Like they had, you know, natives, you know, all over the crew. I think that they even had like a deal where it was like, they offered internships to natives that wanted to work in the entertainment industry to intern in different parts of the production. And like, you know, they they went as far as like, and this, this is like, I've talked to a couple, a couple members of the Comanche tribe who have told me that like, they went so far as like screening cuts of the film before it came out to like elders in the Comanche tribe to make sure that like everything felt, felt right. You know? No wonder for me. Yeah. I, I love, again, I love it. I, I, I'm partly native for my Taino, you know, yeah. Puerto, yeah, yeah, Puerto yeah, Rican. You yeah. know, so we're tribes, man. I, yeah, um, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that. I'm digging it. Well, no wonder yeah. it felt so right. Yeah. Because I, I, I enjoy the crap out that movie, oh, for real. It's definitely uh, on my top list of, of my favorite yeah. part of the movies. I, I, I got really lucky. I got invited to the Prey premiere like last year. And like, oh. and like, and like, you know, it's a Hulu movie, so it's not, it, had, it didn't get like a, a big theatrical release, but I was able to see it in a room with like 300 other native folks. And like, oh man, I like, I want to like bottle the emotion, the emotion of being <laughs> able to watch that. And, you know, it's just, it was just such a good experience. And it's so That's like, awesome. so you get stuff like, you know, Reservation Dogs where it's like created by a native person and top down a lot of native folks involved. And then I think Prey is a good example of like, oh, they, they definitely like, though it wasn't written or directed by a native person, they brought in a native person early on in like a high level decision-making position and let that kind of influence the production. So, so I think that like, you know, like talking to a lot of different people, you know, in Hollywood and also just like working on my own stuff. I think that like, it's really cool to see, you know, like non-natives being aware of like what they need to do to tell native stories effectively in the right way, you know? So I, I think that we're, and that's, that's not to say that it's perfect. You know, there's definitely still like things here and there that like could be done better, but it's like, I feel like we're, we're heading in a, a positive direction and it's really yeah. cool to see. I agree on especially if you're going to hire someone, I mean, good on that, the director to, to be such a forward thinker. Yeah, right, totally, so you, totally. And you're talking about production. So could you tell us more about your little animated short film? Get ready, folks. Telling people you're Native American when you're not Native is a lot like telling a bear you're a bear when you're not a bear, and its impact on your career. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, a story about that. When I came up with the name for that short, I didn't think I was going to have to say it very often. <laughs> yeah, so honestly, so I, I, I made that short in 2018. I, I wrote, directed, and produced it. And I made it to screen in that all native comedy showcase I was telling you about. Okay. Like, like I made it cause like, I, you know, I wrote it or I produced and hosted that show, but I really, cause I'm primarily a writer. I wanted some a piece of my writing to showcase in it. So I, you know, so I put together this short, basically just to screen in that show. And it just like got such a good reaction from the audience that, you know, I kind of thought to myself like, Oh, I should like submit this for film festivals. So I submitted it to the festival circuit. My first time ever like submitting something into the festival circuit. And it like wow. blew up. It got into like, you know, dozens of festivals. It won awards. It screened everywhere from like Just for Laughs to the what? Smithsonian Museum, which is oh, crazy. Oh, for something you created just to, oh, let me put myself out here. And this yeah, totally, totally, going. totally. Well, you yeah. live a, a life of surprises. You wake up oh, one morning, yeah. you land a job. One day, <laughs> yeah, let me just put a video and now you're getting awards. Look at this guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think like you kind of just, I'm sure you get it. You just kind of just got to like go with the flow, you know? But yeah, so so I made it. And like, you know, then while I was working on it, or while I was going through festivals, a lot of people would ask me like, okay, so like, what's the, you know, what is, what's the T what's, what's next? Is there like a TV show with this short? Is there, you know, anything else 
that you could do with it. So, you know, so I came up with the idea to do it, you know, as a web series with, um, you know, a bunch of different shorts all about like different like microaggressions that native folks run into. So I won this thing called the Yes and Laughter Lab with, you know, that pitch of the series in 2019. That's like a thing put together by Comedy Central that introduced me to a bunch of, you know, folks at Comedy Central. So then in 2020, 2021, they bought like a second short, which was the the sports mascot short, which is also on the Gone Native site. And then that did really well. And all of these shorts, like, you know, have done millions of views online, which has been really cool to see. And like, so, and then with those two shorts being successful, we ended up getting grant funding from this really good grant funder called Pop Culture Collab to like, you know, finish the series, make an additional three shorts. And though when I made that bear short, I didn't really intend for it to be a series. It's kind of become like the first episode of this Gone Native series that I'm, you know, really proud of and excited to talk about. Actually, you mean from this one right here, Gone Native created by Joey Cliff. Awesome. So amazing story, though. I mean, you start again with just an idea, something small, showcase yourself and the journey to, to, to this now. So talk about this bad boy. I mean, we could see all the episodes on this awesome website, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see all five episodes on the website. And um, something I'm really, really excited about with the website is that if you if you go each each episode has its own page. And if you go to that page, there's like more resources about, you know, about like about these topics, because these are these are big topics that these are about. Like this is about like, you know, microaggressions native folks run into. But if you if you scroll down a little, you can see like, you know, if you want more information um, yeah. about, you know, you know, pretendians or anything like that, there's like there's like, <laughs> you know, like people who like to say they're native when they're not native. There's like links to like articles. So you could do a deeper dive than this, you know two-minute animated short where a guy gets mauled by a bear over and over again can maybe do. Oh, um, that cracked me up, man. As I was watching, I'm like, wow, this MF just doesn't learn his lesson, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying the whole time. I was like, all right, this is great. I'm really there. Folks, you definitely got, you know, this is the website. I mean, it's right there, folks. All the episodes and a whole lot more. Believe you me that you're feeling blue. This is a website that'll make you laugh. And uh, thank learn you. a little sign for sure about our amazing, you know, native people. Hey, why are we going to call them natives? I mean, they're Americans, right? Uh, well, it's, so, uh, the yeah. original owners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, that's that's a big conversation about, like, it's like some people prefer, it's like some people prefer native just because it's like Native American. Some people bum, are bummed out about it. It's like, we're, we were here before America, you know? Yeah. yeah like, okay. yeah, yeah. So I think I think native, native, is, native or indigenous is usually what, like, a lot of folks prefer to go by. Yeah, indigenous, I think it sounds better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. Man, but I'm digging it, man. So, all right. We're going to ask here then. So how do you balance addressing serious issues while still making people laugh as you do this? I mean, what's that thought process and writing process like? Oh, th- yeah, thanks. I, uh, that's a good question. So... I think that for me, like, you know, ultimately, like, I came up just like as a comedy writer. My goal wasn't necessarily to like to tell, like, you know, to go into big messages with my jokes. I just wanted to write, like, you know, the funniest joke about Batman or whatever, like, you know. And but at a certain point, I started to realize, like, oh, there's like issues that I'm really passionate about, like, especially, you know, growing up on a res and being like really proud of my culture, like a lot of, you know, native issues and like microaggressions that native folks run into. And, you know, so you kind of think about like, you know, ultimately what you're doing as a comedian is you're shining a light on something and saying, this is weird, right? And that's kind of what like every joke is. And like when people laugh, that's an acknowledgement of like, I agree that is weird, you know? So like, you know, it starts to think about like, instead of just writing about like 
oh, here's this weird thing about like, you know, the Spider-Man movies or whatever. It's like, oh, what's like a real thing that I can use that like comedy, you know, comedic satirical point on. So, you know, like for me, it's like once I started kind of pointing that, pointing that laser beam toward native stuff, you know, ultimately I started from a place of like writing just stuff that I thought that like made me laugh. And then, you know, like, and then from there you kind of go into like, okay, what would be like, what's, what's like annoying to me or what bugs me about like microaggressions that non-natives say or whatever. And then like, why does that annoy me? And then like, what, what is the comedic point that I can make about why that annoys me? And then, you know, and then I think that from there, it's like, ultimately, like, if you if you're using comedy for like, you know, social messaging, the comedy has to be funny. You can't just seem like you're like lecturing people, you know, because like people will immediately turn off if they feel like they're being like talked down to or whatever, they're being finger wagged or whatever. So, you know, it's like, it's kind of like weighing, like, it's like weighing the like, okay, here's the point I want to make. How can I do that in a way that's funny that while also maintaining what the point is? And you kind of look at it as like, it's like the social, the social message that you're trying to push is like the medicine. And then the jokes are like the candy that you wrap around the medicine to make it like easier to get down, you know? And, and, I, and I also like, I, I'm friends with a lot of like really super funny, like native and non-native comedians. Like I'll always like, like with this series, it's like, when I wrote the first drafts of the scripts, I got a bunch of funny writers together and we all just kind of like read the scripts and people punched up jokes and stuff like that. So it's like, I think it's important to be collaborative and to just like work yeah. with a lot of people. And like, you know, you could say like, okay, I think this is funny, but if I like send it to a bunch of my comedian friends, will they think it's funny for the same reasons? Or will they say like, oh yeah, make this phrase shorter or hey, say this instead of this or like whatever, you know? So it's all, it's like workshop. It's like coming up with an idea that you think is funny that maybe has a little bit of a point to it. And then also just like workshopping it with folks until you get to like, you know, what you think is like the best version of the thing. And then you, you know, you even like, you know, work with the actors and the animators to like for animation to talk about like, okay, so like, you know, we've got the script, which a bunch of writers think is good. Does the actor have like notes or thoughts or do they think that something's hard to say or do they not get something? And then, you know, it's pretty much like a process of like, you're just like polishing it until it's online pretty much, you know, or until it's like out in the world. Gotcha. And so how many more episodes can we expect of, uh, of Gone Native? What's the future of Gone Native looking like? So, you know, r right now we uh, we just have the five episodes, which I'm, you know, really excited about and really proud of. You know, I, I definitely have, we don't have any more episodes that are currently in the production pipeline, but like I definitely have an, like a lot of ideas for, you know, episodes that I'm really excited about. Like, Excellent. I, I like, I'd love to do an episode called a complete list of things you can ask native people about that is not Thanksgiving. <laughs> Cause I feel like, cause I feel like native folks are always asked about like, Oh, is Thanksgiving weird for you? And it's like, you could ask me about other shit. I love pro wrestling. Ask me about pro wrestling. Like, you know, <laughs> um, so, you know, I've got ideas. For yeah, bro, you know what though? You know, it's not only native Americans that go that go through that, you know, indigenous folk, Cubans go through that because if yeah. uh, anyone that meets a Cuban, he means is like, yo, so how did you deal with F Fidel? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, what the hell are you talking about? I may be Cuban, but I've been off that island. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. It, you know? Yeah, yeah no, it's yeah. Funny it's, shit, right? Yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like, I feel like that happens for any sort of like, you know, any sort of like marginalized group is it's like you have that like three things that people aren't in your group will ask you about. And at a certain point, yeah, you're just like, 
uh, yeah, what do you think about like Fidel? And it's like, I don't know, like, like you know, you, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, also, like, who are, who are you? Why are you like, I don't know, you're my delivery driver for DoorDash. Why are you, yeah, right? This question? <laughs> like, oh, yo, those are the ones that ask the most, the most intimate questions like that. Personally, yeah, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about? Are you trying to get me shot in this car? Like, Oh, no, yeah, man. no, yeah. Like, oh, you don't know how much of a can of worms that question is. And it's like, <laughs> it's like I got shit to do. <laughs> like, right? Do you really want me to give you that goddamn list right now? Why you shouldn't be asking me that? <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. So I think that for me, it's just like that's like a fun area. It's like it's like fun to make jokes about that stuff because I feel like it's so yeah. like prevalent, you know. Oh yeah, listen, man. If we can't laugh at the stuff, I mean, you know, there's how oh, we, we take its power away by by you know yeah, laughing 100%. at it. 100%, no, 100%. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. So I know there's a lot of things going on out there in, in the wood right now. <laughs> Does that affect you in, in, in any way uh, towards any future appearances and work with what's going on um, now? Yeah, so, that, that, so that's a really good question. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, for us, the, the big elephant in the room in Hollywood is that, you know, the Writers Guild of America and the just very recently the Screen Actors Guild, SAG AFTRA are both on strike. And, you know, like I like I, though I'm I'm not a member of SAG or the WGA, I'm a member of the Animation Guild, which covers most kind of animated productions. So, you know, like it doesn't necessarily affect my animation work because our deal, our deal with the studios doesn't expire for another year. So even if we wanted to, we couldn't go on strike, you know, for another year. But like, you know, like solidarity, like I, I like I try to march on the picket line in solidarity, you know, like at least once a week, I I've organized a couple of like animation guild solidarity pickets where we've gotten like 300 animation workers to oh. come out and support the WGA. You know, like I have a lot of friends in the WGA. I have a lot of friends in SAG, you know, so like for me, it's like we're all fighting for the same thing, which is what I think like everybody in this country is fighting for, which is just like people getting paid what they're worth, you know, especially oh, when, you know, when you see that like the CEOs of these companies are making hundreds of million dollars a year or, Meanwhile, like I have so many writer friends who are like having to like, you know, move home because they can't afford to live in L.A. Anymore. I know. Right? And sleep, sleep on a couch for three years or more. Yeah. 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 yeah, legit, And yeah. yet they're working on a hit show. So it's like doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's stuff like the like like I read about this recently. Like, do you remember? Do you did you watch the show Orange is the New Black on Netflix? I'm familiar with the show. I caught things yeah. here and there. So like one of the actors from Orange is the New Black recently kind of revealed how much they were paid to work on that show. And they were paid so little that they lost money on working on that show. What? And that was one of the top shows on Netflix. And they lost money because they were hired as what's called a local hire. So Netflix did not pay for their travel to where the show shot. So they had to pay for their own flights and hotels and they and they didn't make enough to even cover their flights and hotels for being one of the stars of one of Netflix's biggest shows. And Shame it's like, on Netflix. and Netflix is like a billion dollar company. Uh, you can afford, yo. you know, yeah, at least co- at least coach. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, legit. It's like put me in know, the luggage area, something. God, just pay for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that that's like that's like a lot of what this fight is about, right? Is it's like. You know, it's like I, I know so many writers who are, you know, good writers and good people and really talented people who are like struggling to pay their rent because like because of the way that writers rooms have kind of and especially with streaming have become like you don't get residuals or you don't get you don't get the same amount of residuals on streaming as you do on network shows. Writers rooms are a lot smaller and the episode orders are way shorter, you know, like a Netflix series that's, you know, six episodes or, a you know, a Disney Plus series yeah. that's eight episodes. It's yeah. like, all right. 
I gotta ask you that. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. NXT, what's happened? I remember the days of the twenty-four episode season has now whittled down to six. Like you said, what's happened? Yeah, well, so I think that a lot of it, a lot of it, streaming because, like, streaming, especially like you know Netflix and a lot of the different places, they operate on like the binge model, which is they want you to sit down and watch all the episodes at once. And it's like it would be, and like you know, they factored in, you know, they have like algorithms and stuff like that to like figure out, okay, what's the minimum amount of episodes that you can create for a series to get a new subscriber? So like by the model being subscriber based, they're more focusing on that. Whereas the network model, you know, on like, you know, CBS, NBC, whatever, that's like a commercial model. So they get their money from commercials. So like if you have a commercial model and you have a hit show, you want that show to go for like 23, 24 weeks because that's 24 weeks of like a lot of money (laughs) that you're getting for those commercials, you know, and with streaming, focusing on the subscriber model, like it's, more money for them but it's just it's just the amount that they're getting is like calculated differently in that like you know man it's it's algebra and and all that shit makes into one gotcha yeah totally totally. (laughs) yeah no 100 it's like it's like a math thing but it's it's the sort of thing where like it's you know like these streaming services are some of the most profitable companies in the world it's not that they're not making money it's just that like it's like residuals and all that income is calculated often by commercial revenue you know commercials like the the time the money spent on those commercial slots for like network shows and because streaming you know up until recently didn't really have commercials it's just a different revenue stream and the math the like the legal contract math has not been done on how to give people a piece Uh, of the pie of that revenue stream and like in the money is being made it's like somebody you know it's like well that's the funny part Uh, they they figured out how to make the money but they totally skipped on oh let's you know let's share equally you know or or however we need to share yeah everybody wins when it's also wild because like a lot of these streaming services are shifting to models where they do have commercials like you know netflix i think has a commercial service like peacock and like a lot of these streaming services have commercials now but like ten dollars a month (laughs) yeah but like the writers ain't getting a cut of that those commercials like because it's just not written into the contract you know and it's like if it was on if it was on like network tv like cable they would get those residuals but because it's all but like because it's just the deal has not been worked out in streaming even when there's commercials for like a peacock show the writers not the writers and actors and directors and editors aren't getting a cut of that so it's like so it's it that, that's kind of like where a lot of the you know sag and the wga and where a lot of this stuff lies it's like you know artificial intelligence for sure making sure there's protections for that but in addition to that it's also yeah. just like making sure that like there's like stuff written down as to people getting you know a cut of the pie you know how do you feel about ai you know as a writer and it being used to you know to create shows um, so i i guess that my I would say that my worry with AI is that AI is like, it's like a plagiarism machine, right? It's like, it can't create new things. It can only take old things and then reconfigure them into, you know, into a thing based on the things that it ingested. And, you know, like for me, there is definitely some worry of like, you know, like I said, with this like streaming revenue, it's like these, these, these studios and producers, like, you know, they'll find whatever opportunity they can to like get a, get a bigger piece of the pie. And so the worry is that like, if they can figure out how to like, you know, not have to pay 
a writer's room on a show, even if it makes a less good show, they'll like try to do that. Oh, yes, they would. <laughs> you know, I mean, listen, they, they've gone down to the bottom of the barrel and have even threatened starvation of writers. You know, yeah, they no, which, yeah, yeah. which is I, for me, disgusting behavior. So this is why having a writer here just, you know, I mean, how do you feel about a big wig, you know, threatening in you know, such a way? such valuable it's, people on the team. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there was, yeah, there was that story. I think we're talking about the same thing, which is that story yeah. from like the, like an anonymous AMPTP, yeah. which is the kind of the, the, essentially the collection of studios. Like they said something to the effect of their goal is to not negotiate with the writers until October when the writers start losing their apartments and homes and then they're desperate to take a deal and that's when they negotiate them. And it's like, oh, that's like, you understand how much of a monster you sound like saying that, right? <laughs> right? It's like your right. goal is yeah. to make writers homeless and then you'll negotiate, you know? And there's, and it's like, and you know, it's like, so there's that, but then like, there's also that, like, I think that the SAG released this um, a few days ago, like, like, like most of the people in SAG after the union for actors are what are called background actors, which are, you know, extras, people in the background. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's an honest living. It's like, you know, a 12 hour day. It's definitely hard work. I have a lot of friends that do that kind of job. And one of the proposals from the AMPTP when they were trying to negotiate with SAG before the strike was instead of having background actors, they would like to pay a, pay an actor a day rate of like $120, scan their entire body and their face and then for $120, be able to use their likeness forever oh, in any no. way they want so they can digitally put them in the background on any show that they want to put them. Hell no. That's the worst yeah. deal that the poor old school comic book writers got that, you know, yeah, Omar was no. making money, but not the creators, you know. No, <laughs> well, that's like, that's like, okay, something Whoa. that's like, something that for some people is like, uh, you know, a career where, you know, you don't make insane money, but it's like, you might make, you know, like $30,000 a year. So like, it's a living, you know, it's like, and, and it's like, oh, you want to wipe out, like, the majority of SAG who are background workers by giving them $120 once to be able to use their likeness forever, like, you know, Dude, and in yeah. any form and to be able to, like, manipulate and change things. Oh, my lot. God. That means Joey yeah. Cliff could be on an X-rated movie in the future. Yeah. You never no, know legit, if it was a legit, background, yeah. you know? Yeah. Legit, like, is that yeah, really yeah. Joey? <laughs> no, legit. It's like, it's, yeah. There's, it's there's scary. No, well, yeah, and the thing is, like, is there's no, there's no, at the moment, there is no protections in place in union contracts that says that they can't, you know, scan an actor and then put them in an X-rated movie. Oh. So, like, that's what, like, that's what SAG's fighting for on the acting end of it is just like your likeness and, you know, and the WGA is fighting for that in, like, you know, like saying that, like, that the studios can't just take all the scripts that I've written and then put that into an AI and then use that to generate new scripts that like I get no money for, you know, um, when it's clearly based on my work, you know? So it's like, it's just like, I think that all the, the reason for all this is like, we're, we're, we're all fighting for like just the ability to make money, to make a living doing this in the future. And it's like, you know, we're not, we're not rich. I mean, I don't know. It's like, I have this screen up cause like my bed's behind me, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, like, so you say get paid what you're worth, you know, get paid yeah. for that time for that creation. And then if that creation takes off, you should get fair compensation for that as well. You know, going. Oh, forward, yeah. Why for not? Sure. Yeah, for sure. No. I mean, like, it's like, like what, what there's a, a really popular kids animated series that in that's been on for like 25 years in the States that has made 20 billion dollars in merchandise sales. 
Oof. And like it's $20 billion in merchandise sales. And like the people who created those characters, the creator of the show, they're not getting a cent of that, but it's going to somebody. So it's like, you know, it's just like that kind of stuff where it's like, these are some of the richest organizations in the world. Like David Zaslav made like, you know, $250 million last year. They can afford to like, they can, they have the money to be able to like pay people fairly, but they're trying well, to like cut corners. So the rich can get what rich I corner. understand. I think that the, a couple of years back, several years back, the, the, the owner or, you know, the CEO would be making 20 times over what yeah, the, the bottom lowest, person yeah, yeah. the lowest. But now they're talking about it's like a 200 times that, <laughs> 400 yeah, it's like times, 300 that. times that. Yeah, no, Jesus it's legit. It's legit. That's not fair. My gosh. From yeah, 20 to, to 300, that pay ratio yeah. is insane. Son. Yeah, when it's it's wild because it's like, like, like David Zaslav made $250 million last year. Like as he's the the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, yeah, that canceled Bad Girl and then Flash had the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the worst movie, <laughs> worse yeah. than than Green Lantern, you know, and it's the ethical run. Yeah, like, when it's like so, he made two hundred fifty million dollars last year. The total of what all like, you know, like twelve thousand members of the WGA are asking for is like four hundred million dollars, which is that's like not for one person, that's for everybody. So that, that totals out to about like you know like. Ten twenty thousand dollars per per writer or something like that. So like literally, if David Zaslav took a two hundred million dollar pay cut, he would be able to pay for like half of literally everything that every writer is asking for, and he would still make fifty million dollars a year. You know, <laughs> like so it's like exactly, and you still like, live in you live in lovely still at fifty. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like that kind of thing, you know. Don't worry, Joe. We'll get you there making 15 and 100 in the future, too, the right way where everybody's going to be winning. All right? This is what we uh, need to do. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed for real. You know, and shout out, too, to everybody in the picket line. You have our support yeah. and love. For um, sure. So what's up, man? Being that, obviously, you can't, there's a lot of things that a lot of people can't do nowadays. And so you were mentioning that you're doing a lot of speaking engagements, you know, be- before you came on or doing some speaking. So what's up, man? Where can we see you next? either speaking or, or, or dropping some jokes. What's, what's going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. So I would say that, like, so a lot of my speaking engagements are, like, with, it's, like, you know, different organizations flying me out to talk for, like, conferences and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily, like, it's not, like, at, like, clubs or anything. Okay. So I'd say, you know, the best way to follow me would be, um, you know, follow me on Twitter at Joey Tainment. Follow me on Instagram at Joey Cliff. I mean, I think my threads is Joey Cliff. I've also got a TikTok at Joey Tainment. I'm on all the socials. If you search Joey Cliff, I'll probably come up. And, you know, and check out my, my series, Gone Native TV. Gone Native.tv is where you can see all the episodes. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple of things coming up that I can't quite announce yet. But, you know, if you keep following me on the socials, you'll definitely see more cool things that I'm working on and other things that I've got going on. I can't wait, Joey, bro. Cause, you know, thank you for creating this, this cool animated series. Definitely put a smile on my face. Had me laughing again because there's a lot of the jokes I could definitely get, you know, b- being, you know, a person of color. <laughs> Or, or, or like, or what was it like that the congressman said the other day? He got, he got he might be much in trouble using the other word. <laughs> <laughs> he, he referred to his own constituents, colored people in, in the thing. I was like, and they were like, excuse uh. me. Yeah, like, wow. Yeah. Have we not grown yet, people? Anyway, people for real, though, if you want to laugh, check out this show right there. Go to the website right now, GoneNative.tv. The link's below. Click away. Show the love. I'm telling you, this is great. Joey has that real, real good, genuine sense of humor that, that you will laugh. You know what I mean? It, it, it's good, good humor, good feeling humor. You know what I mean? 
and it has a little message too, but it doesn't slap you in the face like they try to do on Twitter. You feel me? It, it, it just really takes it easy, all right? So as he said, please follow him as well at Joey Tainment on Twitter. And it's Joey Clift. There's several eyes in that one, but it's below. All right. This is click away. It's sort of love. Let them know that CCM Mega sent you. All right. Joey, I really appreciate your time as, as a fan of comedy and, and everything. Just want to say thank you as a fan. So thank you for taking your time. Put product out there. You know, share of yourself, share your vision, share your dreams, share your, your humor. We definitely appreciate it. And I cannot wait to see what else comes out of the cliff verse. <laughs> All right. So with that, mi gente, awesome. you know what it is. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nah, brother, you rock, bro. I'm going to follow everything Joey Cliff for real, man. I can't wait. All right? Mi gente, besides following him, check us out, too. At Comic Crusaders, you know, we got everything for you. You know, comics, movies, music. We do it all. Even wrestling, all right? Check us out at Comic Crusaders all over the socials. Hasta la próxima, mi gente. Wepa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 